You're listening to Pastor Jared Ruddy of City Lights Church. I love preaching through books of the Bible um, because it makes you preach on things that you wouldn't naturally want to preach on um, because it's just kind of you're going through it and you've got to face what's in front of you. But I'm excited today as well because this is kind of a uh, really one of the key passages of my life. And I feel like I've got a lot in me that uh, I, I want to bring to the surface this morning, which um, hopefully will, will help us all in our pursuit of Christ. Um, Acts 5, verse 12, the scripture tells us, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Verse 13, None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Verse 15, so that even they carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with the unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, (laughs) I just want as best as you can, to just look at that text for a moment and just admit that it's really hard to believe that. Just for a minute. Just, just, just look at that and take in the impossibility of what's actually happening here. Um, I think that God meets us when we uh, reveal our honesty Not when we just um, try to cover over it and go, oh, that's nice. But when we actually look at that and we reveal the honesty of our hearts, which says this is nothing short of impossible. Nothing short of impossible. I was reading this text a few years ago, and um, I shared in the short little book that I wrote. And it absolutely turned my world upside down because I started to think, how on earth do I get to do that? I mean, that's just an honest question. How do I get my shadow to be so powerful that, uh, that it can do something? Now, the best I've ever come close to is somebody uh, at, behind the line at an ice cream shop said, wow, you look like you're glowing. And it was during the summer I sunburn easily. So that's about as close as my shadow has ever done anything. And I looked at this passage, though, and everything about it captivated me because I'm thinking, how on earth, which I think is an honest question, how do I achieve this place in God, this Um, relationship with Christ to the point where there is some visible, tangible things happening where other people around me are noticing the power of God, right? I mean, should there not be some sort of measurable difference? Measurable, because if we claim to know God, shouldn't there be a difference between people who are in Christ and people who are out of Christ? Just an honest thing. And as I'm reading this text, I remember becoming so frustrated because I couldn't figure out why Peter's shadow heals people. I mean, this is just my kind of thought on this. So I start going back through the New Testament, and I'm looking at what qualifies Peter's shadow to heal people. You'd think this guy's probably pretty spiritual, right? I would think so. I'd think this guy, I mean, if your shadows, how many people's shadow have healed anybody? All right. No, 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 not this week, right? You would think that on the spiritual totem pole, if you will, you, know, you start down here as kind of like new to Christianity and you kind of work your way up until ultimately you've got this 
superpower and Peter's now shadows healing people. Is this the goal? But what I found is that as I began to read the New Testament, everything in Peter's life contradicts the fact that in my mind, his shadow would heal somebody. What I mean by that is that Jesus only publicly affirms Peter one time. One time. Matthew chapter 16. Scripture says this. Jesus comes and says, who do men say that I am? Well, some say that you're a prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're John the Baptist back from the dead. Well, who do you say that I am? And he responds and says, you are Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And right there, Jesus looks back at him and says this simple phrase. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father did in heaven. In other words, um, Peter, you got the answer right, but my Father gave it to you anyway, so you cheated. Right? It's like an... You got it, but it, you really didn't come up on, with that on the own, like on your own. Like it was almost, that was such a good answer, it really wasn't you. And just a few verses later, do you know what Jesus follows up this powerful affirmation with? Jesus says, I'm, you know, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be taken away from you. And Peter says, never, Lord. And he looks at him, he says, get behind me, Satan. Talk about a bad day. <laughs> could you imagine? I mean, could you imagine if Jesus said to you, get behind me, Satan? Not like, you know, come on, like I know you get, in a, you get in an argument with your spouse or your girlfriend, boyfriend, or yourself in the mirror, or whatever, whoever you get in an argument with. And as you argue, you always throw in this one little word, and it's the word like, because it's kind of like you get to smooth things over. So you're acting like a this. And it's kind of that buffer. So you're like, I'm not doing that. No, I said you're like that. Right? You know what I mean? Because, come on, how many people use that, that, that word like? I mean, if you take that word out of, out of uh, your argument, how many people know fists start flying and it's a bad thing? Right? But that word, that word like just kind of keeps everybody like, you know, like, you can be really angry politely. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say you're acting like Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. In other words, like, no politely coding this, just get behind me, Satan, at this point, and I can only imagine Peter, talk about going from a high to a low, right? You just got your dream job, you lost it the next day, right? Talk about a high, you got this, flesh and blood, like you're hearing the voice of God, you are in right union with what God has for you, and then the next minute, get behind me, Satan. Talk about a fall. And then you see is that Peter truthfully never really recovers from making these mistakes, that as Peter continues to mature, he really doesn't mature. Peter calls fire down from heaven or attempts to call fire down from heaven on people that won't accept his testimony of Christ. Could you imagine that? You're at school, you're at work, and you're talking to somebody about Jesus and they're just like not interested. So you go back home and you're like, friends like, hey, you want to hang out tonight? And you're like, no, I'm just praying that God will call down fire from heaven tonight. Why? Well, you know, we were sitting at, uh, it was lunch break at work. They wouldn't listen to me. I was trying to share the gospel. So now I'm just praying that God consumes them with fire. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's what Peter's doing. And you see over and over and over that Peter is making these irrational, these completely irrational, at least in my mind, irrational where he sees this, um, this person that's demonized, manifesting demons, and they come up and they're like, hey, he's not a part of us, Jesus. He's not one of the disciples. We need to stop this guy from casting out demons. And in that moment, the disciples were saying, it's better for this person to be demonized than to be set free from somebody that's not a part of us. Talk about a religious spirit. 
We don't want them to, we don't want that church to grow if it's not us. We don't want that person to be successful if it's not us. How many people have ever struggled with that? Maybe not necessarily you'd ever say it, but in your heart. I don't want them to get the promotion at work. I want to get the promotion. I don't want them to get the spotlight. I want to get the spotlight. And you see over and over and over, even up until the night that Jesus is betrayed by Judas, he cuts off a man's ear, which no one swings for an ear, ever. No one. you've got a sword and you're swinging for an ear. No one does that. He's going for a kill, right? He's trying to cut this guy in half and he's just really bad with a sword. And then later on, you see that night that he ends up denying Jesus to a young schoolgirl, cursing. I'm not talking about he got angry, stubbed his toe and yelled a word that, you know, no, I'm talking about he adamantly denied that he knew Jesus, And what's wild, though, is that this is the same Peter. There's no difference between that Peter and then this Peter who shadows healing people, except one thing. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. At Acts chapter 2, we see that the, the Spirit of God descends on the day of Pentecost, filling Peter. But you know what's crazy about this? Is that you would think, wow, there it is. Now, Peter had this you know, experience with God and everything was better. Have you ever maybe pursued something like that where you thought, if I just had this one thing change in my life, just one thing that everything else would work, or if I could just have this one time with God where everything would get better? Anyone? Anyone? Going once, going twice? Okay, that's all right. I brought my own amen. You've experienced something that you're kind of anticipated if I just had this. But what's so wild about this is that fast forward into the book of Galatians a few years later, and Peter, the same Peter whose shadow is healing people, is now the guy who is absolutely confused about the effect of the gospel in his life. The, uh, I'm not going to go into the, the point of the story just because it's going to be too long of a rabbit trail, but essentially Peter is now caught in this place of recognizing that the gospel is not about what we eat, drink, or wear. And he's sitting with Jews, and the Jews are saying, we don't eat pork and unclean meats. And Peter's going back and forth. He's flip-flopping. When he's with the Jews, he's saying, I don't eat pork, right? It's Come on, you know you flip-flop. I don't eat McDonald's when you're with your healthy friends. (laughs) Come on. You're like, oh, I'd never touch that stuff. Like, you're driving by yourself, and you're like, oh, yeah. You're like, yeah, rarely, right? So Peter's flip-flopping, and Paul the Apostle just calls him out. He absolutely calls him out. He's like, Peter, you by your actions in front of everybody. I love that too, because it's not like he does it privately, which is probably the polite thing to do, but one of the things that's so wild about Paul, which was being sanctified as well, is that he's got this just tenacious boldness that right in the middle of it, he's like, hey, Peter, how was the bacon you had last night? he's I don't eat McDonald's. No, I go to CrossFit, right? I, I don't do that. I, uh, I'm paleo diet. And in, in that moment, Paul calls him out to the point where he's saying that your life's actions are contradicting the message that you preach. Now, the reason I'm showing that is that on the beginning of Peter's life, he's making all of these crazy mistakes. And then even after this experience, Things are still messed up. The the point that I'm trying to show you here is that this text is not about Peter. But we have a tendency to read into the scripture that there is this superhuman-like traits 
that um, the authors of the scripture or the uh, biblical heroes, if you will, had achieved this heightened level of knowledge where they no longer struggled with things that they no longer really had problems. And that's just not true. The point of this story is not about Peter. It's about Jesus. In my frustration as I was reading this text, I came back to it, went to close my Bible, and I was like, okay, I'm done. I can't figure this out. What do you mean this is not about Peter? And the Holy Spirit spoke so clearly into my heart in that moment and said, Jared, this is not what was, this text is not about what was good inside of Peter. This was about what was over him, overshadowing him, and he was transparent enough to not get in the way. That this isn't about Peter's personal holiness, this isn't his godliness, this is not about his righteousness. This was him understanding that if I have Jesus in his right place, everything else in my life comes in alignment. That's why Jesus only has to affirm Peter one time. I guess what I'm trying to relay to us this morning is possibly we're looking for affirmations in places that we really don't need them. We're looking for our identity, our purpose, our value, our righteousness, our godliness, our acceptance. We're looking for these idols to somehow satisfy us in a way where we feel if I can catch the carrot that's dangled out in front of me, if I can get that, then everything else will work. And that simply is not true. This past week, I was, uh, uh, was with a guy, played in the NFL for a couple years and uh, we were just sitting down talking, and it's amazing. This guy um, reached the height of success, was all over ESPN a few years ago. They did a big documentary on him. And he said to me, Jared, you have no idea that I didn't realize that so much of my life's success was motivated by fear and insecurity. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, I reached the height of it. I'm drafted in the NFL. I'm on national news. Everyone's calling me. And yet, I'm motivated by fear and insecurity. That I thought that if I could reach this height of success, if I could actually get to, you know, if I could catch the carrot, if you will, then life would work. And he said, it was actually, he mentioned that it was kind of the the most disheartening thing to actually catch the carrot. (laughs) See, psychologically, what keeps us motivated is sometimes the dream that life can actually be better if we achieve something different. Now, I know this is going to sound odd, but it's almost this thing that if I just had a little bit better job, if I just had a better career, if I just had a better uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, if I had multiple spouses, if I had, you know what I mean, didn't have this, whatever it is, if I just had something. And the wild thing is many of us don't ever catch the carrot, so we live in this constant state of delusion of thinking that something external from us can satisfy us because we just don't catch the carrot. I hate to say that, but just the reality is not that many people are truly, truly successful. Everyone's like, I should have had brunch today. That was a kind of a warm-up, right? Okay, listen. My, my point of it is this. Peter is not a superhero. He's not, as the Greeks would think, a demigod, somebody that's half man, half God, half something. Peter is a broken individual who, before his conversion and after his conversion, still was not perfect, yet he got one thing right, the righteousness of God. If you can turn with me very quickly to Galatians chapter 3, Uh, There's a Bible in the seat back in front of you. If you don't have one, I'm going to read it anyways. 
Galatians 3.26, the Apostle Paul says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. I want you to see that. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all in Christ Jesus one. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That's Galatians chapter 3. Now what does that mean? That doesn't mean when you come to Jesus, you lose your gender. It doesn't mean when you come to Jesus, you lose your race. It doesn't mean that when you come to Jesus, you're now this kind of uh, blob that just floats around and has no identity in life. What Paul is saying to us in Galatians is this, that when I come to Jesus, now all of the social trappings that other people would put on me, all of the stereotypes and the limitations that would be put on me, both positive and negative, now are baptized into Christ's death. What does that mean? It's, it's in, in a society like we have, I don't want to ignore the fact that there's still problems uh, in inequalities. There absolutely is. I'm not here, um, I'm preaching the gospel here, and I'm not trying to preach a particular um, philosophy. But what I'm trying to say is this. When I come to Jesus, the limitations that I have, which truthfully is hard to talk about as a white male in America, because as a white male, you have massive privilege. It's just true. And if you're a white male and you don't think you have privilege, then you've got a problem because you have privilege. The reality is, as a white male, it's actually difficult for this text to say anything because society looks at people that are white male and just kind of gives you the benefit of the doubt. But if I can take liberty this morning for um, (laughs) the rest of society, I don't know how to say this, is that there are social trappings that people put stereotypes on. That just because you're a woman, you're not viewed as a man. Has anyone experienced something like that before? Okay, I haven't. I'm being honest, I haven't. You're not a woman, you're not a man, right? You're this race, you're not that race. You're this, you're not that. And Paul says something so interesting. He doesn't say lose your race, pretend you're not this. What he's saying is that that is no longer the defining element of your life. That your life, and if I can stretch this into something a little bit deeper than just the color of our our skin or our ethnicity, that you are no longer identified by anyone's terminology of who you are. You are no longer identified by any social caste system that you are not identified by any past experience, that you are not identified by what job you work at, where you go, what you do, how much money you earn. Paul is saying, in Christ, if you've been baptized, then the old you, this is why Paul in Corinthians would say that we no longer know anyone according to the flesh. What is he saying? He doesn't, he's not saying we put on glasses and pretend that we don't know who people are. What he's saying is that when you come to Christ, we are all not just at a level playing field because it's not about a level playing field and then we climb up. We are all seated with Christ in heavenly places right now. All of us. 
Now, whether we believe that, lay hold of that, access that, live from that reality is a completely different story. But what I'm trying to say to you this morning is that the world around us has a narrative. And the narrative of your life can be one of many things. You were abused as a child, you're depressed, you're overweight, you're not pretty enough, you're this race, you're not good at this, you're terrible at this class, you can't do this, you can't do that. And we begin to watch this, if not careful, live our lives in reaction to those things. I'm not sure if you understand uh, the analogy I'll use here, I'll do my best to articulate it, but there's people that grow up in abusive relationships, abusive homes, vowing to never be like their dad. Ne- I will never be like them. And you know what's wild is that error, there's you know, two opposites are both extremes. Have you ever met anyone like that? Maybe that's you this morning, that you grew up in a home that was incredibly abusive or and now you've swung to the opposite side. I'll never be that. And in choosing to not be that, you identify with something completely opposite that is equally as wrong. See, what Paul is saying is I'm asking you in Christ to surrender your social identities of experience and submit them to the lordship of Jesus. In other words, the frame of reference of my life cannot be reaction to a bad experience. It has to be in Jesus, I'm a new creation. Sorry, I just want to pop as many excuses. I feel like I'm playing whack-a-mole. You ever play that? Come on. As Christians, that's what we have to do. When a thought comes up in our mind that says, you're just like this, you're not enough, you don't have this, it's our job to take those thoughts captive and say, it doesn't matter what society says about me, it doesn't matter what your family says about you, it doesn't matter what that says about you in this moment, I'm taking that captive because my identity as a Christian is not based on external realities, it's based on an internal reality that Jesus lives inside of me. Jesus lives in me. Now, what I'm trying to say with this, though, is that this truth must be realized in our lives. We just can't take it for granted because, um, just because, and this is why you can meet people that are both Christians, both filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet one person is a complete dysfunctional mess, right? Complete dysfunctional mess, and another person is, is got the most fruit of the Spirit. They're loving, they're kind, they're peaceful, they're gentle. All those two things. It's kind of one of those things where you're like, did one person, you know, did you get a lesser form of Jesus and the other one got a big form of Jesus? Right? Like, you got the discounted Jesus? The Ollie's outlet Jesus? Right? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You know, did you get like the, is that what you got? Because one person's got this incredible Wow, look, they carry the love of God. Have you ever met anybody like that? That just, it provokes you to jealousy in a good way. I'm not talking about jealous like you want to kill them. I'm talking about where you, which would be bad. If that's the case, we'll pray for you later. Uh, have you ever met anybody like that, though? Um, there's, you know, there's people in this church that I'll bring up to Jesse and I'll say, that, that person's a better person than I am. <laughs> I'll say, that guy, that girl, manifest the fruit of the Spirit better than I do. Like, they, they carry something in them. And, and to me, now, we have one of two responses, and this is, this is, again, just kind of extrapolating on this thought, is that when you see somebody that walks in the fruit of the Spirit, you can do one of two things. 
you can either cut yourself off from that and be like, well, no, that's just them. They're special. They're this. That's their environment. That's this, that, and the other. Or in that moment, you can recognize not that they've achieved something in themselves, but they've realized what Christ has achieved. They've not achieved in themselves. They've realized it. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that there is a higher form of prayer than prayer. Let me explain. Uh, often as people, we live lives that are reactionary. Um, kind of like somebody's driving a car and we're on rollerblades or roller skates if those are still in use. You know, holding a rope and just kind of tugged by life. And prayer then is very much a reactionary thing to the circumstances that life brings us. Paul uses this really interesting phrase. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, that can only mean one of a few things. Number one, you just pray and you never say amen. Okay, no one caught that. That's all right. I thought that was actually pretty funny. It really wasn't, but I work as much as I can. Okay. It either means one, pray and just never say amen. Number two, it means that I don't do anything in my life except pray. Like I don't go to work. I don't really eat much unless I'm praying while I eat, which my mom would call that rude. To open the mouth with the food in it. But, or it means something else. And what does it mean? It, it, it means that there's a, there is a way that as a human, not as a superhero, that myself, you, we together can live in a place where we're communing with God continually. Isn't that a wild thought? That doesn't mean that we're not carrying on conversations, but that as Christians, we can actually commune with God continually. Not just at church on a Sunday morning, not just when we open our Bible for those few minutes, not before we pray and hit the pillow or during that 15 minutes or whatever. All all that's good. Don't get me wrong. But there's a higher form of prayer than prayer, and it's this recognition that I am in union with Christ. And that if I can say it like this, the reason that I can pray without ceasing is not because I devote my life to continual prayer. Yes, I understand that. But the recognition that Jesus, the high priest, listen to this if you can track, constantly lives in intercession. Paul says in Romans that the Holy Spirit in me as a Christian, is continually praying. And as believers, we have the ability to participate with God's prayer that's continually going on inside of us. Have you ever experienced that? I hope I'm not, I'm not preaching just mumbo-jumbo. I'm happy to talk through this on a more practical level if it's too abstract. What I'm trying to say is this, is that God's will is moving inside of us as we speak right now. And that the scripture is not, uh, and our walk with God is not like a book you pull off your library shelf when things go wrong and you go like, you know, like we had this book when I was growing up and it was kind of like this alternative medicine. And uh, I'm not opposed to homeopathic medicine. You know, it's cool. I've, it helped me one time greatly. But we had this like random book. I don't even know how it showed up in our house, right? But it was some kind of homeopathic thing and like, you know, Basically, if you got sick and you didn't want to go to the doctor, you'd try that, right? So you'd open it up and you'd kind of look at it and you'd be like, my first thing, truthfully, would be like, I don't like the taste of cod liver oil, never mind. 
I'm like, I'll go to the doctor, right? But like whatever it was, I kind of looked at it, and if it fits into my life, then I apply it. If I like it, if it tastes good, then I'd take it. If not, I'd just put it back on the shelf. See, that, that's how, we, if we're not careful, that's what we do with Christianity, is that instead of recognized that I'm, I'm going to do sign language, I might curse here, I apologize. I'm baptized with Christ, I'm raised with him. I don't know if I just said a new day or I just cursed there, I apologize. I don't know sign language. But, uh, <laughs> sorry. Can we lighten up just for a minute? Okay, that was, I've just, Okay. What, what I'm saying is this, is that if we're not careful, if we don't recognize that my identity is that I was buried with him in baptism. Listen, if you've not been baptized and you're, and you're confessing Christ, you need to be baptized. You need to be baptized. If that's happened, this is not just a ritual, an act of what I'm doing. When I am baptized, I'm making a public declaration to everyone around me and myself the, the, de- the determining, defining factor of my life is not my economic standing, not my social standing, not any of those things. What defines me now is not my race, my ethnicity, it's not my history, it's not my bank account. All of those things now are defined by Christ. It doesn't mean they're not real. You know, don't worry, if you're a woman today, you're still going to be a woman when you leave, all right? I'm not. And likewise a man, I'm not <laughs> changing that either. But what happens is those now come under the lordship of Christ in my priorities. And now I'm able to watch this. Once I recognize that I'm not defined by being a man, I can manifest godly manhood without trying to be a macho man. I can take the redeeming qualities of what it means to be a man without all of the unnecessary garbage that our society attaches to it. That I can recognize that as a man, God's called me to this, yet my definition beyond being a man is being a Christian. It's being in Christ. Now, you can take the rest of those. I'm not going to try to extrapolate how those work out in other areas. I can only speak as myself. A few more thoughts, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. In the Old Testament, God primarily came to three people, prophets, priests, and kings. Prophets, priests, and kings. If you weren't a prophet, a priest, or a king, you're shot. Not literally shot. They didn't have guns. But you're shot. You, you just don't have a choice. All right? God didn't speak to you. Sorry. You're on your own. But this really unique thing happens in Acts 2. Is that the Holy Spirit comes in fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy and says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Then he begins to make these wild claims that your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Now, if you go into an, a Middle Eastern culture today, you'll recognize that women are far less culturally than men. We all know that. that is, they don't have the freedoms that we do here. And 2,000 years ago, it was less than it is now. Uh, our modern concept of e-harmony where marriage is built on like, you know, <laughs> like, oh, we both like strolls in the park or whatever, you know, I don't know what you fill out on the profile. Our, our modern concept of like, oh, we, we're so alike. Uh, 2,000 years ago, it didn't mean squat. I've got 12 cows. 
What do you say? <laughs> She's pretty. All right, take 13. Right? I'm sorry. I don't mean to be disrespectful. I'm just saying what it is. And, and the Holy Spirit, watch this, comes into a time and an era like that, and he, he explodes it up. He just blows it to pieces. He shatters that framework, and he goes like this. The person that you don't think even publicly should have a voice, I'm going to fill them with the Spirit of God, and they're going to give utterance to my voice in the earth. <laughs> That's outrageous. The person that you are buying, the person... And then he goes on, and he goes, on the free and the slaves. That's the person that God, the triune God, infinite, immortal, perfect, I'm going to come and reside in somebody who is a slave. (laughs) That's where I'm putting my spirit. See, Jesus explodes, the Holy Spirit explodes the framework. My question then to us is then, Why do we keep putting ourselves in boxes then if God has already blown them up? God's blown up all of these boxes. And again, as a white male, it's kind of hard to say that because if I'm not careful, I'll just be honest with you, the default as a white male is to think you don't have white privilege. It's true. The default is to think like, nah, it's just a thing. And because at this point in American history, which I don't think will be very long, that's kind of the the top of the social class. But coming to Christ has to redefine everything. I'm not defined any longer by the color of my skin, the color of my hair, the fact that I burn in the sun continually, which hurts tremendously. I'm not defined by any of those things, and listen, neither are you. As we close here this morning, Kenny, would you come if you're not completely dehydrated from worship. <laughs> Can I make a joke? I'm making it, whether you want to hear. Okay. Uh, I thought Kenny was manifesting the stigmata today for a second. He, there's that little sweat patch on this side, and I was thinking, is there, is that, what is that? I'm kidding. It's hot in here. We'll get the ASAP. No, just you for a minute, and uh, spend some quality time. Um, listen, it's so, it's so good to be free in Christ, isn't it? And, I, and I, I want you today to take a few moments as we just begin to sing and lift your eyes off of yourself. You know, I can honestly say my shadow's never healed anybody. And I, that's not like a goal in my life. It's not on a bucket list, you know. Some people like want to go to Costa Rica and I'm like, I want my shadow to heal people. It's not on a bucket list or anything like that. But I can say this. If it's going to happen in my life, I can guarantee you it's not going to be because I become a better person. <laughs> If, if God achieves anything in my life, substantial and significant, it's not going to be because I had a really good string of days of reading and praying. It's not going to be because I overdosed on communion. Right? Maybe that's why, have you ever thought about that? Maybe the reason we're powerless is we only take like a little bit of the body of Christ. <laughs> I'm being lighthearted. I'm being facetious here for a reason is that the, the reality is I'm joking about some of those lighthearted things, but there's bigger issues. And there's bigger issues. And some of those issues, I can't even unravel this morning. You know, and Ashley didn't betray any confidence, so don't worry, we don't talk about this. But I said, how are the, you know, we were talking about the home groups. And Ashley said, you know, and Jesse likewise, he said the men's group was amazing. The women's group was amazing. And Ashley said, it's amazing. She didn't share any details. She said, it's amazing that 
when you get into a room like that, that how people begin to bubble forth, this is what I've been through. Likewise with the men's group, this is what I go through, this is it. And what I'm trying to say is that if God does anything significant in our lives whatsoever, it's not because in our own strength and energy, we're going to clean up our past experience. How many people here this morning, you can say, I've had so much happen to me already that it would take a lifetime to unravel it. I've already been through that, that I could be in counseling for the rest of my life. If God, and I'm not opposed to counseling, please hear me, that's not what I'm saying, but if God does anything significant, it's not going to be because I unravel the effects of sin personally in my life. As if I can go back and, you know, it's like this big, this big knot and I start pulling each experience out oh, I was hurt here, I did this, this person did this, this person did this, and if I can unravel it, finally, uh, you know what though? If you're really honest with you, or honest with yourself, you'll notice that those knots are constantly being tied. (laughs) It's not like you graduate from pain to a better life. Things are constantly coming and knotting us up. So then, if you stand with me this morning, if anything is going to be accomplished, it's not by ignoring It's not by ignoring those types of things at all. It's by lifting ourselves up, not to what's good in us, but looking up to the sun, looking up to Christ, letting his glory overshadow us, shine through us without us getting in the way. Can we pray, worship, and just sing and thank him for a few minutes? If you feel like junk this morning, if you feel whatever got great news for you. Christ offers you a completely new life. Completely new life. Father, we can approach you in boldly in grace. And Father, we, we come to you not in our own strength. We don't come to you this morning as a, I don't come to you as a white Irish male. Father, we don't come to you with our bank account. We don't come to you with our family background. We don't come to you even with our education. We don't come to you with a list of credentials. We come to you with the brokenness of ourselves. And we receive grace and we lift ourselves. Would you pray with me and not and, and just engage just for a few minutes? This is not the uh, this is not the credits of a movie that are running out before we leave. This is actually a moment. This is a spiritual moment. We can engage with God. Father, we engage with you. We don't even know how sometimes. But we say that if we are in Christ, we're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are new. Jesus, today I declare over this church that our identity is found in our baptism and in our resurrection. Jesus, I pray that you would unravel, that you would undo, that you would finish in us what you started. Father, we thank you and we worship you. 